0: Welcome to Building Bridges, ACMCU's premier podcast where we discuss, debate, and examine contemporary issues facing Muslim-Christian relations in the United States and abroad. I'm your host, Andrew Condon, Digital Communications Manager for ACMCU. The Center for Muslim-Christian Understanding was founded in 1993 at Georgetown University with a mission to improve relations between the Muslim world and the West, building bridges of understanding between Islam and Christianity. In this program, we will speak to experts, faith leaders, authors, and influencers about how their work is shaping the discourse and fostering interfaith dialogue within their respective communities. Dr. Sean Foley is an Associate Professor of History at Middle Tennessee State University and specializes in the Middle East and religious and political trends in the broader Islamic world. He has published widely on Middle East history and Gulf politics, and has delivered papers to academic conferences and universities around the world. His first book, entitled The Arab Gulf States Beyond Oil and Islam, was published by Lien Reiner Press in March of 2010, and his new book, Changing Saudi Arabia, Art, Culture, and Society in the Kingdom, was published this year. Dr. Sean Foley gave a talk here at ACMCU in February on his new book and the topics covered within. He took the time after his talk to join us for this episode of Building Bridges. Dr. Sean Foley, thank you so much for coming on today's episode of Building Bridges. And you just uh, had an amazing presentation here at ACMCU and came to present on a very unique topic, art. Yep. from, from uh, Saudi Arabia and that region of the world. So before we get started on kind of diving in here, for those of our audience listening who may not know of your work or your background, could you give a brief description of how you came up upon this, uh, this research topic?
1: Sure. I'm interested. I'm an associate professor of history at Middle Tennessee State University. Um, I actually have both an MA and of a BA from the University of California, Berkeley, and an MA and PhD, um, an MA in Arab Studies, and a PhD in history from this institution, Georgetown University. In fact, where I gave the speech today was actually where I took my first class with Dr. John Voll. Um, who became my mentor and also um, worked with us on our talk today, so it was nice to return to the beginning of the process with with that. Um, I'm interested in a couple things, often of the intersection of both history and of politics, of culture and society. Those sort of, all those intersections come together, and one of the things that I find fascinating about the arts is it allows me to move in multiple directions at once, to have a better way of understanding a society like Saudi Arabia. We tend to understand the country through the pronouncements of its national leaders. There's a significant discussion of both what they say and what they do. And those are important, particularly for understanding international affairs. But when we think about other parts of the country, other parts of the society, and we have a, a country of 28, 30 million people, vast country, huge space, there are other things we have to be able to think about. And one of the things that the artists provide us is an insight into that culture. To think not only what those elite leaders are thinking, and that is important, but also to channel what other parts of the society are thinking about politics, about culture, about society, all in those contexts. And you can see how much change over time and within a society. This is a society like our own that's in motion. And one of the things that artists are able to do is to sense those ideas, to be the early warning signal. Of what's coming in society. Ezra Pound talks about this: that the artists aren't just individually portraying their ideas, but they're sensing something larger in the society. And again, those that includes what public policy is made at the highest level in government. But if we understand what a whole country is thinking, those artists are a way of going in and ge- allowing us to see what are people thinking about, what are they talking about, what are they implying and that allows us to get that. And that can often be one of the wonderful things about art, is that it allows us to see all those different ideas that that are there. And I should note, this is, um, I did this, my research was actually, this specific research, it's not the first time I've been in the region. I'm trained, as I know, here in Middle Eastern Studies, at Georgetown and also at Berkeley. I've spent time, of significant time in Syria and Turkey and Malaysia. I had actually previously written a book about the states of this region. But what I was really interested in was going back to Saudi and getting a good chance. And I spent over uh, nearly a year there doing research on the ground, traveling around the country. But even before I went, I got an insight as to what I was really going to be, should look at. My wife and I were going to a wedding um, in the UK and we had an extra day that we realized and there was an artistic show of artists. This was a few months before I was going to start my research based in the kingdom at an art show in London. And it was I'd heard of Saudi artists, I'd read some of their work, but it was the first time that I'd actually walked into an artistic gallery and saw these vast works. And they were operating at a different level. They were operating intellectually, politically, culturally, all different ideas, and they were seeing ideas and making connections that I didn't expect to see, and that my training in Islamic studies, the classes I taught, gave me the impression that wasn't supposed to happen. yet they were making it. And I instantly said, I think maybe these are people I need to talk to. I mean, I talked to other people, other scholars. I traveled from Tabuk in the north to Asir in the south where the artistic movement really takes hold. But it was clear to me from that initial point, these are people I need to look at. There's a a, a wonderful thing initially called Cowboy Hadith this one, huge picture. On one side, you have the Islamic code of war. The other one, you have the cowboy code, mid-1950s. What do these two things have in common? <laughs> and what 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 they have in common? On this artist, Akbar Matra realizes, is that there are points in both of them that are nearly identical. Hmm. And he's able to see. Now we think Islam, Islam, and religion on one side, mid-20th century idea from a popular culture. The other, what do they have in common? He sees those linkages. yeah. And when I initially saw that, I said, okay, not only are they gonna teach me about this country, they're gonna tell me something about the world. I better go find them. Yeah,
0: I mean, that sounds amazing. Um, oh, it hit me. Yeah, boom, right, yeah, I mean, art does that. You know, and I think a lot of folks here in the West, art is something that is reserved for the part of their lives that they most often love to be involved in. Right. You know, we go to art, you know, yeah. and, and a lot of times, unless you're an artist, that is is something that you see and you you put in in just a very you know venerated place in your lives. So, on that note, in one of the slides you have uh, that in your talk, there's a question, do people actually wonder whether there is art in Saudi Arabia? Is that something you came across from from other Westerners or folks who are not familiar with Saudi artists?
1: Absolutely. And to begin with, this has been a long. This has been a long, a long process. Lawrence of Arabia, Colonel Lawrence says, there's so little art in this country that one could say in the Arabs that they have no art at all. Even Saudi artists themselves, Saudi artists, Saudi intellectuals. Um, there's uh, multiple ones. Will tell you if we if we think about Saudi that there's an actual culture and a definable Saudi culture. This is being written in a Saudi newspaper, two thousand and thirteen. We say that there's a Saudi culture and it's definable culture and it has value which is an interesting statement by itself, then we can say the hatred of the arts is at the center of that culture. So both the West and even some in Saudi Arabia, imagine this idea that there's no way this can produce. In reality, that's not the case. This is a culture that for decades has produced art. It produced art um, for in, in Southern Arabia, in houses. There have been major singers, a, ma- a singer named Muhammad Abdu, major singer, sang throughout the Arab world, other singers, there have been even some visual artists. And so the assumption is this can't be the case. They assume that Saudi Arabia is an austere culture that seeks to define and to attack anything um, that is sort of a symbol of the modern world. We're going to only deal with it as little as possible. That's not the reality. And the other reality is the assumption is that there might be some people who like art, but they're from the sort of liberal elite. Small portion of the country. The idea that this could be something that could be shared by the entire society is seen as completely anathema. Not possible. Not true.
0: Hmm. I mean, I wonder if that's if the if the notion that art and society are intertwined and and both feed off of and are somewhat uh, you know symbiotic in nature. If that's something that evolves, or if that's something that's that's given. I mean, I, I think here in the West, art is kind of at least the way that young people and millennials in particular are, are expressing themselves through art is become their identity. Right. Uh, do you see that
1: occurring? Oh sure, absolutely. And many, one of the things to note with the artists that I talk about, many of them are, are the same age as millennials and many of them are also consuming the same culture. It's such a rapid, rapid clip. Um, the ability of the internet and other things to just consume culture at so rapid of a pace I remember visiting in 2013, 2014, one of the major media companies in, in the country and, and having a long conversation with a famous comedian, Hashan Fakib, and he was looking at some of the other younger kids in the room, um, and he himself is an older millennial, but you know, and he was looking at the kids who are 17 or 18 who had just started up and he said, they're gonna be, they may not speak English right now as well as I do, he degrees from Columbia and Florida State, but he said, they're gonna be so much ahead of me because of the amount of culture that they can consume, the amount of references that they can put into their work, and effectively the amount of material that they have. Indeed, yes, the same types of things. Social media, as is important here, memes, visual culture, are types of things. And two of the things about art here, one of the things we assume in art in the context in the West is that it's often done as an individual, as individual expression. In the Saudi context, they're going to bring together many of the same things that we have in the West, that we have in the West, many the same ideas and other things, and particularly collage, which is also something you see constantly with millennials. All these different ideas, irony, collage, oppositional forces going back and forth. You'll see that there. But in how we often determine or think about art as something that is an individual going into an art studio and then bringing it out as God produces the world. Yeah. That's not necessarily the way they think about it. And, and, and there are interesting parallels with the way they're operating and the way that New Art Theory is looking at, at things about art not just being something that someone individually owns, but that this idea that art could be something that's spread out and then multiple people appropriate it. Like the famous pictures, say, of Obama running for president in 2008. There's many other pictures. And this is not just something of the left. This is all different types of pictures they could then reimagined, in different contexts um, and different people using it. And part of what they're interested in is developing a type of art that will collectively reflect what a society thinks. As a scholar, it was remarkable visiting these artists. Now I'm going to them, I'm doing research. So I'm going to ask them, what do you think? How did you come up with this? What do you you know what influences did you have? You sit down like we're talking here today mm-hmm. and their first question to me is, so what do you think of my art?
0: Uh-huh, yes.
1: They're interviewing me, and I thought, wait, what, <laughs> like, what, what, what? Yeah. Uh, um, and, and those types of things are um, extraordinarily important, and they also taught me something else. I was very fortunate to have my wife join me when I was in Saudi, and one of the things that I learned as a researcher is that I'm trained to do an individual. We think about individual work, plagiarism being one of the horrible things in academia, and it's a significant problem for many reasons. But one of the things I learned having my wife there, and I, I cannot thank her enough for coming, for, for putting her life on hold for a year to be able to come with me, was that that allowed me to ex- begin to experience Saudi Arabia in a group context, to think about it in, in a larger framework as like the people who were there. That, and she also has allowed me, her friends have also allowed me to, to, to expand the research that I'm doing to think about these insights. I cannot thank her enough for that.
0: That's wonderful. I mean, art, I mean, at least in my experience, art has always been something shared, right? You know, if if you're, if you're an artist on an island with no audience, then are you an artist, you know? So another thing I noticed from a lot of the examples that you set in your presentation were a very almost provocative nature to some of the art, whether it be political or social and commentary. Do you, do you feel that, that is uniquely a a regional focus, or is that just kind of the artwork that has been most um, kind of hitting in in the culture?
1: Well, part of it also is, um, there's a wide variety of artwork. That's the first thing. And part of it, I'm giving a a public presentation. I want to get a reaction out of my audience, of course. But also, one of the wonderful things that you see again and again, you see it both in visual artists, you then see it in stand-up comedy, you then see it with the online videos and film, is this idea that they want to serve, and it's done in a very sort of interesting way of thinking about it, as mirrors onto society. That they want to serve as a mirror. Now that mirror, of course, also is done with a meaning. They want to get a reaction. A positive reaction. The point of the art isn't just art for art's sake. It's let's talk about something. Let's do it it in this context. And what's remarkable, so that, that they see social media they instantly recognize social media as a powerful opportunity. They initially think this group concept, when they started, and the initial group of people started in, in, in the movement that I look at as the beginning of the 21st century, early internet. They initially think, okay, we'll have that group context in, in art galleries. But then they realize, wait a second, social media can allow us to do for the entire country and provide instantaneous communication, feedback, both negative and positive. And what's remarkable about that sort of group context is how that works its way out. And indeed, one of the great examples is in 2008, one of the artists, Alton Nasser is about to give this piece. It's a very powerful, provocative piece. It's a piece about, um, called Serat, which means path, straight path. And it's a picture I strongly encourage people to take a look at it It's this bridge and this bridge in southern Saudi Arabia that had been built in uh, a number of years ago it was actually built by the bin Laden family in this valley and they they said it would last forever But they didn't do the requisite prayer Before it was built there was a flood in the valley the people of the town went to the bridge And then the bridge collapsed <gasps> And again, that's um, with lots of life and it's a powerful story now, when we think about that, that bridge, he's using it as a way of talking about, um, about infrastructure, about about, care, about multiple elites, larger population dynamics, money, even other things are being talked about. But the word sarat, of course, that word is being put forward. It could be path to the other side. There's a religious connotation with it. There's both white and other things. All different types of things are, are being talked about in this particular context. But, of course, surat is also one of the first words of the opening words of the Quran, surat al fatiha mm-hmm. And when, that, when this piece was about to, be, about to be shown in London in 2008, there's an enormous outcry in Saudi society, um, particularly from religious elites. And they say, you're defining it as the Quran, that you're telling people to walk on it. Now, this provided... Now, this was very provocative. Now, this provided an open opportunity. Now, Garam could have easily said... Look, that's not what I mean. Yeah. He Pauses and says, no, I'll take your word for it. And he does another piece. Yeah. Does another piece. And he does this other piece, which is actually the stamp. Because at that point, um, Garam, who's actually an officer in the army, um, and also an artist at the same time, is doing lots of stamping work. He's a mid-level officer. And the stamp says, have a bit of commitment. Hmm. Amen by itself is an interesting thing with an official stamp. Yeah. Um, and by itself, open these types of things. And indeed, part of it's not just provocative. A work like that with Garm is not only provocative. It also can be have multiple meanings. And that's actually what they do. They actually use works that have multiple meanings, but for which there's not a clear answer at the other end. That's up to society. And with Garm, th- there's two other stories that are sort of remarkable. Garam actually went to school in Hamis Mushet, so he's a member of the army, but before that, he went to high school with two 9-11 bombers. Mm. And what's remarkable about it is that you know, almost Garam says, we came from the same soil, we almost are the same people. But that word almost is important yeah. because it allows you to show the different possibilities that are available um, in that context, and indeed, that idea of, of showing the opportunities, one of the wonderful works about being provocative is they can be read in multiple ways at once. Um, one of the other pieces that's shown with that, that talks about the evolution of man, is that picture where you have the gas tank, and that's by a man named Ahmed Matar. Matar is himself a remarkable person. All these people, the initial people going to the arts, are not artists by training. Yeah, There are other things, Garam is an officer, Matar is a doctor, and in fact, Matar was interested in doing art and had to make a choice. Do I stay here or do I go abroad and and maybe study art? And he says, okay, I'm going to study medicine here, which I'm good at, and I'll do art here. And he reimagines an idea of an artist, not as an individual, but as a doctor, as serving a public good, Mm. that I'm serving the idea of medicine I'm giving you, I'm telling you what's wrong. And the idea about the doctor is that that doctor implicitly has a public trust. Yeah. That I'm giving you this for your own good. I'm giving you this idea, this message, these things to talk about. And sort of what does that mean about art and society? And indeed, if you look at this idea, there's a f- clear recognition on their part that these images allow them to say things that they could not say as easily. Yeah. In written form. Because if you say it in written form, it gets closer, a potentially to the Quran, but also potentially to other written documents in that tradition. But it means you're nailed down. Yeah. I should add one other thing with the Garam, with the Sarat thing. When when I went to see this artistic show, the one I mentioned in London, um there's another piece which is this capital Dome. It's this amazing picture of a black there's a black a base oil. There's the U.S. Capitol on top of it. We're in Washington talking about this. The, the the liberty person on top, lady liberty on top, is actually in front of the dome with a rope in front of it. Remarkable. But below it, below it, is a mosque. And it was supposed to be the intersection of democracy with Islam and with oil. Remarkable question. But he does something else. At the base of it, he makes it something that's almost like a joke. He puts the surah Al-Fatiha going back to that other piece. You can see the level of intelligence um, and the level of intellectualism in this, all in multiple directions. My wife who was with me when we saw that, and I saw that and she took a wonderful picture of that. And it it took me a while to realize what what was going on. But when I saw the two pictures together, I understood it was a joke. This is what I was saying, see, I can do this.
0: So another thing you mentioned in your talk which I've never really heard of before, is loud art. Well, what is that?
1: Okay, this is a a wonderful initiative done by a woman named Orneen Buhari, um, who actually was recently voted one of the BBC's top 100 women in the world. Very bright young woman who's played a role um, in the artistic movement. She's actually in the Eastern Province, um, a place called Desert Designs, and she's very interested, she partners with another friend as well, in developing this particular idea of bringing art to a larger population. We often think of art either in Saudi Arabia or in the West, particularly in the art gallery, as an elite function. And what they end up doing is creating art with um, art that goes beyond just doing collage, but other types of art, but also art that is as little as $20. And that's substantially cheaper than you'd almost think anywhere. And that's supposed to democratize art. To give the idea, it's not just you can come to an art gallery to see it, but you can physically own it and bring it home. She's done some other things too. They have a wonderful Instagram account and other types of things um, that they use social media that allow artists to film their work. So they do the art gallery, but also you get to take advantage of the thousands of people, tens of thousands, who see this social media. And it makes for a powerful tool and an understanding of taking art and broadening it so that that initial criticism is often made that this is just elite people ain't the case and it shows also like arwal Niami and the other ones the powerful role that women have played in this artistic movement
0: is it a trend or are women finding that art is becoming their voice or were women always a part of art and
1: sure women have always been part of it in fact matar's mother is one of the who's actually a painter in her own right Um, did house painting. But certainly women have been able to take advantage not only of the visual arts, but also there's a a growing um, group of women novelists that you'll see in the kingdom as well, many of which are actually being translated into English. But absolutely that women have played a role uh, in the artistic movement. The initial group of people are men. um, And in fact, one of the the reasons why the artistic movement grows in the South is opportunities for men to get training in art. But women have certainly taken a key role, both women as artists, but also women like Rain, who are part of the inst- artistic institutions that bring women to the, that bring women out into this public context. And developing structures, also in certain part, members of the royal family and others, getting funding for these types of women that take a role. And there's no question that women um, have have done very, very important things to this movement. And it brought a unique voice.
0: One thing I wanted to go into is, is an exhibit and a piece of art that you referenced that I was really taken aback by. And I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing her name right, but
1: Arwa Al-Nami? She's a brilliant woman. I'm, I'm really happy it was actually just naturally about to get to that. Yeah. Boy, she's actually married to Matur. They're actually both from both from the South. Oh, hey. uh, oh yeah. They're both um, the doctor I mentioned. She herself is an artist in her own right and a force. She's one of a number of women who are involved in this movement who are unbelievably smart and unbelievably that her video one of her most famous ones is never never land yeah and and it's first of all she does it in 2014 so multiple years before women are allowed to drive and she goes to an amusement park that's filmed in an amusement park and it's called never never land and you have all these pictures of women driving bumper cars and it, part of what she's referencing is a number of things. First, the dra- ban on women driving. She's also kind of making a joke. Saudis are, and particularly Saudi men, are known for driving very quickly and very fast. In fact, um, accidents happen a lot. So there's a certain level of an inside joke. If you look, some huge percentage of hospital beds are taken up by people who are or in accidents. And Saudis drive very quickly. Um, she's referencing that, too. Um, And that, particularly the images, and there are other ones from that amusement park, women going around in it, but the one that she specifically references that, and apparently that got significant response with that. But you can see already, part of what makes that is that this gives you an idea, four or five years before the driving issue emerges politically and is eventually the decision is made at the highest level to allow that to happen, this is being talked about. Yeah. And what's remarkable, she's not doing it in Jeddah, she's not doing Riyadh, she's doing it in the South. It's one of the most powerful images. She's one of a number of women, um, women filmmakers. Uh, Another woman um, who I mentioned, Ahad Kamal, does a piece called Sanctity. And it's about what happens to a, and she herself is the first woman to study art or study film in the United States. But the whole piece is what happens to this woman who is pregnant she's of a orphan but her husband dies suddenly as she's pregnant her brother-in-law who should be helping her shows up and says your husband owes me x amount of money you have to pay it and what happens is you see her looking for different parts of society she tries to get a job she tries to get government assistance um her family's supposed to her brother-in-law who should be helping her isn't in fact he's demanding money he seems to be a little lecherous also um, in this way that's not clear and it's a whole 50, 20 minute movie and it's a powerful piece she's not saying we need to be western she's saying this particular woman in this particular situation should have the values of society why is the society in it's most conservative of values not helping me and I remember looking going whoa yeah Um, and you know, it's not accusatory, no one is put, is put blame on, but she's saying there's a problem and we need to deal with it, and art provides a very powerful way of thinking about these issues, not just about women, not just about driving, about art, and uh, almost any issue you can see, they're very provocative, and part of the point of being provocative is a, the images, but also, let's get our attention, let's think, and sort of want to snap, like. Look, yeah. pay attention, listen. Um, and they do so in a context recognizing that they're in a, in a society that is a is a multi a multifaceted society, which has elements that might not like some of their other ideas. They're very careful about how they present themselves publicly, what they say in public, how they say, how they dress, in both men and women. One video, for instance, I was looking at Telfaz um, 11 called No Women, No Drive. You see the men. Now, it's culturally and sort of even almost a point of being religiously symbolic. These guys dress when you meet them sort of traditional, normal clothing. But when they meet in public, when they do this one particular public video, they're wearing the full culturally sensitive outfits as a way of recognizing to society, a way of communicating back and forth. And Matar has a wonderful thing. Matar says, look, it's a lot more interesting to be in a culture where there are constrictions than there are in a place where it's totally free. It makes you think, how do you get around that roadblock? How do you say that type of thing? And to us, remember, as Westerners, we assume no freedom, so therefore no possibility for artistic expression. When I've done this book, I've had good good reactions from some of my colleagues, some of whom have recently been to the kingdom. And one of them, very good scholar wrote to me and said, look, I was surprised about all this stuff. And I said, I was too, but I think that probably means we need to think about them differently, not the other way around. We need to redraw what we think about this kingdom, what we think about their society, and also what they teach us. Mm -hmm. Um, How is it possible to, can these people who are seemingly different or tribal, I mean, you almost hit on other side, how are they functioning in the modern world? How are they functioning in a world that has multiplicity? of individual ideas. We're in a society where there are multiple value systems at work. We're in Georgetown, not far away from the capital, where they're, you know, intensely with government fighting on different value systems. How do we find a way to make those value systems exist? Um, You know, one of the things I talk about is a wonderful insight with a young man, deeply intellectual, but also deeply funny, a man named Hisham Faki, both him and, asked me about his wife as well, Ranin, both extraordinarily bright people and Faki and I had been talking for a while, but we never had a conversation about this. And he spoke to my class last fall. And one of my students asked him, you seem to be more modern or Western. Um, he's been studied at Columbia and, and gone to school at Florida State. How do more conservative people in the kingdom react to you? And at first he said, first of all, lots of those people have also done this traveling as well. But the really important thing of what he says is he says, look, value systems can be in parallel. They can exist in parallel. They don't necessarily have to be fighting. The the, the sort of foundation of of Western thinking on almost anything, particularly history, is thesis, antithesis, synthesis. Two rival systems battling each other, and then there's a synthesis. What if those two things are just sitting next to each other? Now that may not be, there may be a permanent tension, but that doesn't mean they have to be battling and have to resolve themselves and what he was saying is exactly the same thing. And once you get that, then maybe maybe they they can maybe they can teach us something or we can at least might want to listen to what they have to say. We could use some of that too.
0: I, I yes, I think we could. I think a lot of people could. It's a beautiful vision to think of many sides versus other side. Right. You know, and I think it's that othering. And we've had other subject matter experts evoke that same concern of the othering when we divide and try and label and say that anything that isn't the way that either we've been told to see in the world or that we've been told to kind of codify the world is somehow different and or wrong and it could just be different and or right. It's, you know um, what I mean? It's, yeah.
1: Oh, no. Um, I love you. you the expression. Um, it's not either or. It's and and as well. Yeah. Uh, it's not an either or. Um, and, and indeed, there. Um, one of the things I talk about is there's a uh, Martin Luther King actually makes that expression. Um, do we do integration or desegregation? He's asked that question. It's, it's not an either or question. It's and as well. And what's remarkable is he's, he's actually building on a formulation used by the Martin Luther. Yeah. Um, and you can see those, those connections over time. and once you get out of that context you get into a multiple. And indeed, not only those many of those pictures or those videos, multiple are provocative. They're also collages. Yeah. and collages allow for the idea of multiple to exist in the same space.
0: Do you think that social media is playing a role in an ability for Saudi Arabian artists to have a sense of community that they themselves have created?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. And in fact, they're very early on. The initial, Remember, the initial people, let me back up for a moment. We, we talked about in the talk. The initial people come up with these ideas that I'm talking about in the early 2000s with dial-up modem, you know, back in the old days, With social media allows for instant connections and for creation of community and for people to talk in ways um, in a larger thing. And one of the core institutions that I, I talk about in this talk is a Saudi core institution called And majlis is something you see in you actually see physical spaces that exist in Saudi homes for this, oftentimes reenacting the ideas of in, the, in the desert of sort of a tent where people show up. Some are co some have both men and women, some have just women, some have men, or salons is another word. But oftentimes this idea of the majlis, where people sit around and they talk. And indeed, the initial people, when they did the artwork back in the early 21st century, did this in this in this area, in these majluses. And in many ways, social media is a way of creating a national majlis, that you can talk about things in a context in a wider way. Now, that can also have political connotations. Also, it can have cultural things, and so it makes it much more difficult about how you hold those conversations. Um, Oftentimes, Saudis will may want to use, say, something like Instagram, where you can perhaps have a little more control over who hears things or not hears things. But it's a remarkable sort of process that that works out in that. And that's something that the social media and their technology, they're widening their wave. And indeed, the media companies, sort of the second generation of these artists, are tied in. They they develop an economic model where they realize if we put the stuff online, you know, particularly turning social media into a form, YouTube, into a form of online television. And they know, they take advantage of the fact that in 2010 2011 this is a new technology the controls on it are nowhere near the controls on normal terrestrial television And they say okay, we can do something with this now, of course that takes time and effort They've got to figure out when people are online and other types of things But yeah, that's exactly what they do and they can monetize it
0: speaking of YouTube one of the videos that you showed in your talk hit me directly. Okay. And it was both visually stunning, artistically executed, and very, very wonderful to, to watch. And it was a, a song called Rise by Tom Tom.
1: Right. She's an, um, a Saudi artist from Riyadh who's based in Los Angeles. And that video was done by her um, as well as Michelle Jesser, who's the director of it. If you may remember, I talked earlier about Hasham Faki talking about those young, young men. One of those young men was Michelle Jesser. Mm. So, he, he, this is 2013, 2014, he's looking at them, and Jesser is now here. The prediction he had for Jesser r- rising you see in that video. Yeah. She's a remarkable singer, it's a remarkable video, and it begins to give you, note at the beginning first, who pulls her into the marriage? It's the mother, it's the mother. of the son. And indeed, one of the things that you, you learned by talking to friends, but also, my wife saw this when she went to a wedding, is in the back of the room there are all these matchmakers. Because in, in Saudi society, it's the mother who's expected to help find the for, for the son. And you'll see this in literature oftentimes where a man and a woman will meet, but the son's mother doesn't, doesn't like her, so it doesn't work. And you can see that power with, with that marriage um, where the son and, and the mannequin is, is that powerful image. Oh yeah, and, and I love the scene with the mannequins driving. I had chills throughout that entire video, and I'm just thinking, my God, what a statement. It is, and it's also, it's something that's done in English, it's something that's instantly understandable. But she's raising issues of marriage, of male and female roles within a family, um, within a family that almost anyone can understand, but it's still uniquely Saudi. Their images, for instance, with the food, mm-hmm. All the other types of things, the type of ceremony where they're sitting next to each other. He, they're wearing the traditional robes, particularly the man is wearing, the, or the mannequin is driving the traditional roles. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing also, she's wearing clothes, and they're driving through the desert in that one scene Yeah, it, with him driving. And then at the end, when, it blow, when the fire and she just walks away.
0: Yeah. I noticed in the video, as well as other uh, artistical works you've showcased, an incense holder, I believe it, I might might be getting this wrong, Um, Mabhara?
1: Yeah, that's right. I sometimes have difficulty pronouncing the word myself, so don't worry about that. I've learned Arabic for many years, and I remember when my initial training, someone looked at me and said, you learn it in decades. So we're both, we're still on our first (laughs) decades. Right,
0: right. So that seemed to be a central kind of icon in the message.
1: Could you maybe go into like, what that evokes and, and it was used in a number of other Oh yeah, oh yeah it is. Well it's a very powerful it's the type of thing that can be easily thrown in into first of all, it's it's something you see all the time. In in a majlis setting, you're often people will bring that. It's incense, it's done. Some people say it's an it can be an aphrodisiac oftentimes. I remember I was in a majlis in Hamis Mushet. Um, which is the same town where Garam went to school. And I remember being in a Majlis, and it was, it was this was a case which was separate. So I'm in one Majlis, my wife's in, in a second one. And uh, the guy gave me a little incense he, and he looked at me and said, Young man, you should get more of this. But but it's also it, but it's a powerful image, and it's a brand, it's become, for lack of a better word, a branded image of Gulf Arabs and particularly Saudi Arabs. You will see Arabian Oud, which is a company um, um, around the world, as I noted, I've been done research and travel in many parts of the Islamic world, and you'll see Arabian oud in places like Malaysia and other parts of the world, even in the states. So this sort of globalization of this sort of Saudi brand name, and they they use these wood pellets that are very expensive, um, but it's this very powerful image, and it's a type of image that can sort of evoke a sort of culturally identifiable image in both past and present. And one of the things that talks about in this, they're in motion. But both past and present are are tensions, but are also exhibit in Saudi culture, just as they are in the United States. As Lincoln famously said, you can never escape history.
0: Kind of wrapping up and, and looking back at the not only the examples that you've shown, but what you were able to evoke as a sense of what's coming next.
1: Are people in authority? Are they is is art being encouraged or uh- Oh absolutely. And one of the things that sort of um so just for a moment to add two things at the end. Um, A remarkable thing about about art and authority is when the initial art movement starts, it's in the South, Khashoggi is involved in helping bring this together. He actually brings the initial people together. His daughters are part of it. And we also see sort of amazing when you think we talk about oppositional forces on one side and the government on the other. Um, One of the things that's remarkable is Mohammed bin Salman and MBS has recognized that the arts play a potential role. First of all, it's recognized by society. But it's also both him and, you know, completely different sides of the story. But what's interesting is both recognize the ability of the arts to do change. And in fact, the arts are seen, A, as something the government is, is invested resources. But what's really remarkable about that is, A, two sides seemingly agree on this, seemingly oppositional forces, but also the government recognizes this is something that society has itself bought into. And we tend to assume that simply because some a artist receives government funding, that by definition, they are showing government propaganda. That's not the case. Part of this is a recognition of two things. One, society's already bought into this, into this context, and that this is the government following what society's already done from the bottom up, but also a recognition that the arts can help transform this country. One of the central issues we saw, we talked about earlier, with evolution of man is oil. This is a country whose politics, transformational, everything has been defined by oil. In, in many ways, a huge impact. And one of the things that the arts are doing is moving towards a movement where we can have other types of creative industries, industries that can play a prominent role in society and allow Saudis to have other jobs for the youths coming up, large youth bulge, but also a country that can then move away from the oil and start of its own creative industries. And so what's remarkable is you see these two forces intersecting at the same time.
0: Last but not least, you do have a new book out.
1: Indeed I did. And in fact, we should have mentioned that earlier. That new book is called Changing Saudi Arabia, Art, Culture, and Society in the Kingdom. It's a wonderful It's a wonderful that you reminded me of that, thank you. You can get on Amazon, multiple different ways if you're listing the Middle East. There are multiple ways to do that. I've, I've pushed it on my own Twitter feed, Foley SE. if you want to find me on Twitter. But also, um, the publisher Lynn Reiner Press, if you look them up on the internet with Lynn Reiner, if you live outside of the United States and you don't want to pay shipping, they also have um, PDF versions as well of the book. I strongly encourage you as an author, but also because I want to get feedback. Um, as well. I'd like to take advantage of the same thing the artists have as well to get the book. And I very much appreciate, by the way, having the opportunity to come to Georgetown and to do this podcast. It's been a lot of fun.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Building Bridges, brought to you by ACMCU. Follow us on Twitter at acmcu and like our facebook page at acmcu.georgetown feel free to submit any questions and tune in for upcoming episodes